Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The one thing that I would ask tech companies is transparency. We don't have a transparent understanding of how algorithms work. And we only seem to understand when it's too late. We have algorithms that are designed to create profit for tech companies, helping to boost and engage us more on platforms. That is dangerous. Algorithms at the moment are not being designed with safety in mind. And I think tech companies need to be a whole lot more transparent around that. Welcome to series 11 of the Not Perfect podcast, a show that's here to share conversations with world-leading thinkers to help us grow, stretch our minds, thrive, and heal from within. I'm your host, Poppy Jamie, a best-selling author of Happy Not Perfect and entrepreneur. I've spent the last decade exploring how we can live better, support our mental health better, expand our consciousness, and feel full even when things feel turbulent. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to a special episode of the show with Shei Akiwowo, who has not only been my friend for over 10 years, I think nearly 12, but we were actually studying at university, the London School of Economics together. And if it wasn't for Shei, I'm actually not too sure I would have got through it. Shei is a multi-award winning founder and CEO of Glitch, a charity that's been on a mission to end online abuse by making digital citizens of us all since 2017. Shea is a recovering politician because before Glitch, she was elected as the youngest black female councillor in East London at age 23. It was when she experienced horrific online abuse while in this position that Shea decided to set up her charity to help support women and marginalised communities in an ever-changing online world. Now Glitch creates toolkits, guides and workshops to help prevent the spread of online abuse. On top of the many lives Shayi has changed through her work, she's a TED speaker and very active on Twitter. It is an honour to invite Shayi on the show today to talk about her brilliant new book that has just come out, How to Stay Safe Online, that shares all the tools you need to look after your mental health in an unstable social online world. The book is an easy read and yet jam-packed with stats, insights and thoughtful advice we can all use on a daily basis to live happier and healthier online and off. What's a favourite quote you return to often and why? This is probably going to sound to some people dry and very cheesy and stereotypical, but the quote that is has been really governing me the last three months of my sabbatical and been like an anchor for me is the serenity prayer so the serenity prayer that says god grant me the serenity to accept the things that i cannot change the courage to change the things that i can and the wisdom to know the difference that speaks to me as somebody who is a recovering politician who whose natural state is to overwork to underestimate how long things take and to want to do everything. And so that serenity prayer is a real grounding quote for me around like, I don't have to always do something. 
that is a, such a wonderful quote to share. And it really, especially because you do so much activism work, I imagine it's really easy to suddenly feel the responsibility to be, to be, to be the person writing the wrongs, having to call out. And I guess it probably takes quite a lot of restraint to go, no, my personal energy is more important than me fighting this in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you're trying to bring about system change, you're trying Mm. to do thought leadership, you're trying to be a role model, then there's all these expectations that you put on yourself that maybe doesn't come from the most self-compassionate of places. And so you end up trying to, you know, deep down that perfection isn't attainable, but you Mm. end up trying to be this archetype in your mind of this perfect activist, this perfect online figure, and it isn't healthy. And so the more you can create spaciousness and time, the easier it is to not fall into that really unhelpful thought pattern. And I think that's why that quote that gets banded quite a lot on social media by Audrey Lord, which is about self-care being a, you know, a revolutionary and political act was really key. And it's key and fundamental to the sustainability of our movements, but more importantly, to the sustainability of ourselves. What's a life lesson you've been reminded of recently and why? Really good question. Mike, coach has been fucking amazing like out of this world in understanding me in helping me understand me in guiding my my evolution of my being and coming back to being a human being not a human doing and she has often these really amazing reflections or when I've come to her with epiphanies helping me come with even greater compassion for myself and the one that sticks out the most recently was around how the world sees me as a black woman And she helped me see from a really compassionate place that the world is socialized and set up for black women to receive less, deserve less, to give before they receive. You know, this goes back to slavery and colonialism where women's bodies, black women's bodies were not even theirs, you know. And that's a historical legacy that shows up in in people's behavior consciously and unconsciously. And so that's that life lesson from her as an older black woman has been so key in helping me just soothe my nervous system and not get so angry and irate. Like, do you remember how angry I used to get about so many injustices at uni, Poppy? Like I'm on that on steroids and it's just not healthy for me. Mm. And I have to come at this like, this is not a reflection of the way I am. It's a reflection of how people see me. That's their bad. I'm not the bad one here. How do you understand the soul? I understand the soul at the moment to be a lot more wiser than my brain. And she is funny and creative and a force to be reckoned with when sustained and properly and healthily fueled. I can tell you as as a friend, you are exactly that person that you described. You have always led with your soul first. Oh, Pops, I really appreciate that. I thank you. What in an ideal world would you, if you could give one message to every single person online, what would it be? And what would that be to the tech companies too? Okay, my one tip for everybody online is to take a beat and ask yourself, why are you online? Mm. What are your intentions? If your intentions are to be online because you want to be connecting with X community or you want to be raising your profile or you want to be on 
not even be online, then ask yourself if those intentions match to what you're doing now. Because if you say you don't want to be online, but yet you are public and your name is on every platform that you are, you have a social media account for, that seems to be not in balance with your intentions. If you want to be public and you want to use it for work, then are you maybe oversharing? Mm. Are you maybe spilling into personal details? Because that mm. does tend to happen with algorithms, right? And so I think it's always coming back to an intention and values framework to hold yourself accountable to. But we just all think we're signing up to Twitter, we're signing up to Instagram, TikTok, it's easy with an email address, and that is it. But no, we kind of need a code of conduct for ourselves, an agreement so we hold ourselves accountable to and ourselves because we don't see the person that we're talking to and interacting with on the other side. And if I could, and, and I do, I sit on trust and safety councils of Twitter and TikTok and I repeat myself often, the one thing that I would ask tech companies is transparency. We don't have a transparent understanding of how algorithms work. And we only seem to understand when it's too late, when we've seen Caroline Flack die by suicide, when we've seen hate speech go through the roof, when you're quoting stats of, of women every 30 seconds being abused online. That's too late. We have algorithms that are designed to create profit for tech companies, helping to boost and engage us more on platforms. That is dangerous. Algorithms at the moment are not being designed with safety in mind. And I think tech companies need to be a whole lot more transparent around that. You wrote every 30 seconds, a woman on Twitter in the USA is being abused. Who is to blame? Is it people or is it technology? So I think both. I think technology and tech bros certainly didn't invent, invent the patriarchy, but they have exacerbated it and they have equipped the patriarchy to be more disruptive and powerful and oppressive than ever before. It's allowed one man who might have gotten away with being um, sexist on the streets, catcalling, annoyingly harassing. Tech has now allowed this man to be able to do that 10, 15 times and to do it for numbers of years. That's the bit that I ha I hold tech company accountable for. But when we talk about digital citizenship, when we talk about online abuse, when we talk about online behaviors full stop, we can't see it and compartmentalize it as a, its own thing. It's on a spectrum with offline on the other side. What happens offline affects online and what happens online affects offline. I'll give you examples. Unfortunately, the horrible shootings that we saw in America, Buffalo and the school shootings, those perpetrators were radicalized online. One of them has a history of stalking and abusing and sending death threats to women online. And they tried to report it. These young girls tried to report it to the police and they were ignored. Months later, he's carried out his attack offline. We know Joe Cox, MP, British MP here in the UK was murdered by somebody who was radicalized online. The online and offline world aren't separate. They're one continuum. And what I'm sick of is tech companies abdicating responsibility. Oh, well, it's not our fault. Well, you're, you're certainly not helping. I really enjoyed the part where you say you can't win. It's naive to think you can ever win an argument with a random stranger on Twitter. Why do you think people argue so much online often when actually it's out of character for them to do so in real life well my immediate thought to that question is because we all have a human desire to be seen and heard and algorithms 
are set to feed that, right? They set to feed and give us endorphins and serotonin and, you know, all sorts of stuff, which is why they love algorithms bumping up the hate and bumping up the rage, bumping up the controversial topics to get us more engaged. They know that that's what it does. And so when we get retweeted, when we see the heart and the numbers of um, likes and comments, we feel seen and heard. And then there's this one person that either takes what we've said out of context and, you know, is looking just for an argument, or you've got one person who doesn't see it, doesn't see what you what you believe. And so you get frustrated on that one person, I believe, this is my belief, and we end up getting in this rabbit hole of trying to convince this one person rather than staying with our tribe of people that do get us. Now, there's a balance with this because I'm not now advocating for echo chambers. I do think it's healthy to be following people from other parties that you don't necessarily vote vote for or other people, particularly journalists and thought leaders that hold a differing opinion to you. Now, not an opposing opinion. That's not, again, the binary that I'm trying to get out here. I'm not saying that we all now need to be following, you know, ex-alt-right wing journalists on 4chan and Reddit and all of that stuff. But I think people who have differing opinions of you make you a better in person or help you be more convicted in your beliefs because it's mm. been it's been robustly tested. But I think when you're going to the extreme of trying to convince one person who has a default Twitter or Instagram profile, has four followers, isn't even using their real name, like who are you trying to convince? It's mm. coming from a place of ego, I think, mm. then really believing in the thing that you're saying. And I do it. And we all do it, which is why digital self-care is a, is a continual habit, ritual, practice and requires community so that, you know, Poppy, you can message me and be like, Shay, I think you've been online a little bit too long. Like, do you want to take a beat? It's really interesting because you use this word self-care a lot. And I guess in recent years, I found the word quite challenging because mm. it's been so stolen by industries that have tried to sell you stuff. And so as a consequence... I almost had started to use it less, but then you're someone who's brought it back into kind of my consciousness in a very nuanced and different way. So I'd love to kind of dive into that because your book focuses on very accessible self-care practices around being online. But why is it this a word that you've chosen to use to represent the the tools that you recommend? Again, my immediate reaction, the activist in me is like, we can't afford for our language to keep being co-opted and used against us. We need to be fortified in reclaiming our language and being clear about what we mean. So what do we mean by self-care? What do we mean by woke? What do we mean by calling somebody out? What does cancel culture actually mean? What does accountability We need to be clear and intentional about our language. And the reason why I use self-care, because in its truest form, self-care is about boundaries. Self-care is about, about intentionality. Self-care is about protection. It's about community. It's about making sure that you're saying yes to yourself and no to others and not at the expense of yourself. And for me, that is exactly what digital self-care is. So why would I now spend time trying to come up with another jazzy word, then reclaim the word that is already there that is, is perfect? And so I'd like to read you what digital self-care means to me and what I've put in the book. I would love that. I say, to put simply, the ultimate goal of digital self-care is to forge a healthier relationship with online platforms and technology, to take up more space safely and confidently online, to empower ourselves, to harness the incredible potential. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Potential of our online communities, whatever that is for you, whatever you're passionate about and whatever you want to achieve. Digital self-care means noticing when you need rest and to take a break from existing online the way we have to take a break from existing offline. We don't work 24-7. We don't see our friends 24-7. It means saying no to others and saying yes to yourself and your own needs. When setting boundaries, about it's about asking for help. And sometimes it might come at a cost. It might mean saving for therapy. It might mean weighing up the pros and cons of engaging with others online and refusing to take part in public life full stop. Digital self-care is about you developing this personalized toolkit for yourself that is affirming your boundaries, that does require regular checking with yourself, especially after a traumatic experience. It's a non-negotiable expression of self-love in the face of so much negativity and harm online. Really appreciate that definition. And thank you so much for reading that excerpt for us, because I think you grant permission actually in many ways for people to reclaim their own digital self-care and really think to themselves what does that look like for me you talk about transformative resilience and this is something that you have shown in spades because you went through horrific online abuse and you had to go through an entire journey of healing after something that was so unbelievably horrific What does transformative resilience mean to you and how did this awful experience, where did it lead you and what helps you to overcome it? Transformative resilience is not the notion of resilience of bouncing back because actually that comes from an idea around bending metal and seeing how far you can bend metal and it can go back to its original form. I don't know about you, I'm not metal, I'm not a robot. I'm a human being. And I think transformative resilience is about the ability, the process to to use a really challenging and stressful situation as a catalyst for growth and innovation at a really paced time and about forward motion and about seeing the whole traumatic experience for what it is and not this kind of toxic positive, well, there's a silver lining of that, or well, that's going to make you stronger. No, it doesn't make me stronger. It's part of something I have to live with because I want to continue in a forward motion. It's really challenging and really nuanced But I think the more that we keep digging deep in what we mean by resilience in not a place that keeps taking from us, but in a place that allows us to keep this continual healing, then people like me, people like you who've gone through very traumatic experiences don't suppress what they're feeling. They bring it to their day. They show up with it. I'm no expert. I put that disclaimer here. I'm no mental health expert. I'm no trauma expert. I think there are many more experts out there, but from my lived experience, 
finding that balance for myself of where I don't suppress my traumatic experience, but I don't also lead with it is my healthy boundary. Is that, and I think that's where the transformation happens. You can't transform when you're suppressing something and you can't transform when you keep being pulled into the past. One of your steps that you have vocally taken in the last few years is stepping away from organized religion. Would you mind sharing a little bit about where you are at now and maybe what you've learned from your experience? So I left organized religion about four years ago. Just so much was happening in the world that I couldn't reconcile with my faith. And the final straw that broke the camel's back, I think that's how the saying goes, was the abortion conversation in Northern Ireland and bodily autonomy and feminism. And I couldn't reconcile. I kept being in that kind of dogma faith of like, some things are just unexplainable in this religion. Some things are just not explainable in the Bible. And, you know, it is. I, I couldn't do anymore. I, I pride myself in being a critical thinker mm. and organized religion for all the pros it gave me, belonging, community, rituals, particularly with my organized religion being around a lot of other Nigerians. It gave me a connection to family and a culture and heritage that I couldn't ordinarily get, particularly with having an absent father. It, it filled so many gaps, but then it was creating so many other gaps and it was so hard. And so about for four years, Poppy, I kept saying I've got a crisis of faith. And I couldn't reconcile all of these things. And then I realized there were certain things that were being taught in organized religion that was at my detriment. So for example, Poppy, you know how hard we worked at university. Mm. But yeah, on the Sunday at church, I had to say this was God. God's blessing. God's doing. God did this. No, God didn't. I did. I revised. Mm. I was there. And for four years, I was angry at these beliefs and these notions that took away any any kind of credit and reference from my hard work and labor. Mm. No wonder why my default pattern is to overwork, is to overachieve, is to keep pushing the goalposts because no one said, well done to me, because all the glory and all the grace goes to God, right? That's what we're taught in organized religion. Mm. So of course, we're going to be on this treadmill copy of working and pushing ourselves and that's why self-care is just so important because it just allows you that beat to be like, no, I love all parts of me, good and bad. I'm not seeking perfection before I can love myself. I'm not working so hard for this idea and concept of heaven. Mm. I deserve rest in heaven now. Right. And again, it, what a fascinating thing to look at when when we start to unpick where on earth these this perfection conditioning, not only the patriarchy, but also then religion too, all of these huge structures that we all got kind of born into um, and now definitely breaking free from, where did you then find a new sense of peace and a new sense of belonging and a new sense of center? I'll tell you where I, where I didn't find my peace. I thought I would find my peace and my belonging in work. I thought I was going to find it in founding this, this organization glitch. And I talk about this in the last chapter of my book, Mistakes and Reflections. I thought this was going to give me a sense of purpose. I thought this was going to be like my framework of how I show up in the world. This was going to be what gives me status and dignity. Oh, and then I did it in relationships. <laughs> then I did it in the gym. Then I did it in in this fixation of, how, of, of what healthy was. Hmm. I did it in so many of the wrong places. I had to fuck up so many times to find that equilibrium for myself. And where I find the greatest and the most sustainable peace is when I'm able to come back to my breath 
take stock and be in a place of gratitude. That is where I honestly find the most peace. And when I don't have that, when I can't attain that, when I can't catch my breath and I feel like everything is shit in the world, that's when I know I've lost my sense of peace. So unbelievably um, powerful to hear where you didn't find it to then learn how how you do find it because I feel I've made every single mistake that you've just you've just shared I'm like oh god yeah (laughs) the work identity oh tell me that one I mean literally god that was that was my life for a long long time and still now I have to really catch myself because it's so easy to fall back to the old habits that we think are gonna fulfill us sorry can I ask you Poppy yeah lockdown one so that moment we didn't really know what was going on but lots of meetings were cancelled. People didn't even know what Zoom was yet. And they had to download it and all of this malarkey. That kind of sweet spot. Um, um, and it ended with kind of like eat out, help out. Was that a joyous moment for you? You know, I feel so guilty for saying that in many ways it was because that first lockdown, I was so grateful that the world told me that I didn't need to go on a flight. The world stopped me having to do six meetings a day in all the different parts of London and forever frazzled yes. and a bad back because I'd always be carrying gym kit plus a laptop plus, you know, a pair of heels plus yes. you know, you're bringing, you're like a tortoise running around, all that, everything you could possibly need for a day in a bag. <laughs> and that was somebody else gave you permission to stop. And I think that's why we're struggling to then get back to that level of pace that I think the world then wants us to to get to now but all of us are going I don't think I can ever do that again and I'm not sure we will ever we hopefully should never have to do that again in the same way how about your how about yourself yeah I'm very much like you Poppy because obviously I do not wish for the millions of people around the world to have experienced and suffered what they did in that first lockdown where we couldn't understand what was going on there was a lot of geopolitics at play and you know we didn't have the vaccine and all of that malarkey but that permission the world that lockdown let's not call it covid lockdown right i think Mm. we can separate the two yeah lockdown gave us the permission to stop and pause and it was the best time of my life it was the best my relationship with my my friends and my boyfriend grew fundamentally in that time because there was space because I had like one meeting a day because so many meetings got canceled because they were all in person or so many speaking events got canceled because we couldn't meet. That's the piece that I want to go back to. That spaciousness that we had, that permission to stop and connect with ourselves and really sense self-care in our decision-making. I often think about lockdown one as that sweet spot of pushing against work identity and exploring nature because that's all we could fucking do. (laughs) You know, we could only go to a fucking park. Like what else was there? Honestly, that's what I miss. And that's why that is what I try and carve out in my diary all the time. And you're right, Poppy. It's hard when you've got opportunities and you don't want to miss out. And then the, the world is based on scarcity mindset. And so you're like, you're like, Oh my God, if I say no to this, but they forget about me. And it's so hard, but that's the piece I long for Poppy. So you've just been on a sabbatical and I think this really relates to your book and this kind of new expression of self-care that feels just so much more attainable. You took a few months off and then you were just saying before we got on that actually having this binary approach to rest and work isn't necessarily the most sustainable route forward. 
Can you share a bit more about that and where your thoughts have now landed with what is that balance between rest and work? So I think the language there is a difference between recovery and rest. I needed three months to recover and embrace hashtag soft life. That wasn't rest. That rest came in that, obviously, because I had such chronic fatigue, I had to slow down and do nothing. The, the Where I was two weekends ago was like, I'm going back to glitch. I'm going back. I'm scared about overworking. I'm terrified to be in burnout again. I'm terrified to be so sick like I was at the beginning of my, of, of why I needed to go on sabbatical, the nightmares. I talk about this in my newsletter for those that want to know more. So that, that was terrifying me. And so my nervous system was never really soothed and rested when I was off for three months because it was always there. Like this was just going to be a period of rest and I'm going to go back to it. No, I needed to reshape how I lived and showed up in the world and center rest. That's the difference. Sabbaticals are important. I think sabbaticals and a break from something is always key and important. But this idea that we can keep living our lives in the world that we live in, the systems that we live in, by just constantly being off is not the case. We need to keep unpacking why we need to keep recovering. We need to keep unpacking why our boundaries are not affirmed or respected enough that we keep draining energy. That's the bit that is going to bring us true rest and that principle of heaven on earth not working, 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 then resting, working, 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 then resting, working, 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 recovering, sure, but I want resting to be in my day-to-day, in my in my bookmarking of my day, how I wake up in the morning to soothe my nervous system and how I go to bed to soothe my nervous system. But this idea that everyone can go on a sabbatical and we just keep going on sabbaticals doesn't fix the system that keeps causing us to go on sabbaticals in the first place. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest and for just talking about so many things that are so relevant to all of our lives from living life online in a safe way on looking after ourselves and what resilience looks like, a new version of self-care we can all get on board with. And also, you know, just defining the difference between rest and recovery. I think it's just so, so, so helpful um, for us all to be reminded of um, in a world that makes us forget and wants us to forget often. So your book is brilliant. Where can people find you if they want to ask questions? And we will obviously put a link to your book in the show notes so people can find it out now. Yes, thank you, Poppy. Look, I know it's my book, but I would implore people to buy a book for themselves and buy a book for somebody they want to be a better ally to them online. And you can find me, you can talk to me at shayiakiwowo.com. And that is the same for my Twitter handle. And I'm very, very like sociable on Twitter. And I'm also on Instagram too, and recently on TikTok. So find me on shayiakiwowo. And I would love to hear how you are applying these tips around digital self-care. I'd love to hear how you're applying rest and boundaries to your online space and hear what's going on because it's going to be so different for everyone. Amazing. Well, as I said, we'll put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Poppy. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Not Perfect Podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would deeply appreciate it if you wouldn't mind subscribing and leaving a review and perhaps maybe sending it to a friend who also might enjoy this episode. I can't tell you how grateful I am for those that share this podcast on their social media or with friends because it helps the show reach more listeners. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. So if you've had any thoughts or you want a specific 
specific guest coming up in future episodes, just let me know. Shoot me a message on Instagram or Twitter. It's just at Poppy Jamie. And so until next time, stay flexible, stay true to you and stay leaning into love. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 